Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Jamie Beckler with us. Now, for 20 years, he has worked with and led student-athletes as a college basketball coach, administrator, and professor. He spent his entire career at the college level until two years ago, where he transitioned to the high school level to be a full-time athletic director at Marion High School in Indiana. At the time of his move to public education, he was Martin Methodist College winning as coach for women's basketball, and his team was fresh off of winning the National Champions of Character Award. In his two years at Marion High School, he instituted the first student-athlete leadership team, established processes that got the department out of debt, generated excitement through innovative marketing strategies, and saw the Giants win their eighth state basketball championship. Jamie is on the move once again now that he has gone through the certification process to be a John Maxwell team member. He is transitioning into full-time leadership development and executive coaching. His major areas of passion include showing people how to become persons of influence, building championship team cultures, and helping individuals make successful choices. He and his wife of 17 years have a son, Jalen, whom they adopted at birth. Jamie speaks across the country on various leadership topics. You can visit his website at coachbeckler.com. That's coachbeckler.com to read his blog or find out more information about his services and how he can help add value to you and your team. All right. So welcome, Jamie Beckler. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Lily. So we are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, uh, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. Let's do this. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So Jamie, tell us a little bit about your path to leadership. Sure. You know, uh, uh, when I was in middle school, uh, my English teacher had a library of books, and uh, I read two books uh, that really stuck out. One was by uh, – uh, they were both by basketball coaches. One was uh, about Bobby Knight, and one was about John Wooden, and uh, they were both uh, very successful basketball coaches. And it was the first time after reading these books that I realized that basketball was more than just dribbling and shooting and that kind of stuff. And so uh, both coaches, even though Bobby Knight uh, is, is fairly controversial and, and kind of polarizing – I realized that both coaches really wanted their players to learn life skills and to be better people uh, once they quit playing basketball. And that was the first time I ever thought of that. So I was like, you know what? This is cool. This is what I want to do. I want to help impact people. And, and I'm only a middle schooler. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, these coaches that are telling me stuff when they're uh, 
you know, in practice and in games, they're trying to help me out as well. And so I want to do that to people one day. And, and I got to live out my dream. And, and for about 20 years, I was a college basketball coach. And, uh, you know, that was that was a great thing. And I've, I've just continued to develop, continue to read a lot of books. Those weren't the last two books, but they were pretty much the first two books that I read. And so uh, I've been taking this journey for a lot of years, uh, over 20 years as a student athlete, as a coach, as a professor at the college level, and then the last two years at the high school level. I've been an athletic director, and uh, now I'm transitioning into uh, full-time leadership development and public speaking and and, uh, coaching. So how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, I think it really centers around relationships, uh, developing those relationships. Uh, If I'm not able to truly connect with someone, then I'm going to have a hard time influencing them or, or leading them where they need to go. Uh, John Maxwell, the leadership expert, you know, he has a great book out that's entitled Everyone Communicates But Few Connect. And, you know, it seems like everyone's communicating nowadays through email, text, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, Instagram. And uh, yet so few people are actually connecting with others and and actually building those relationships. And uh, what I found, you know, as a basketball coach, I might be very knowledgeable. I might be able to let people know about basketball. I might be able to to know how to teach it. But if I haven't connected with a player, then, you know, they're not going to listen to me as much. They're going to know that I'm the authority figure and that I'm supposed to be the expert, but they're not going to truly buy into everything I'm saying. And, and you know, Maxwell also talks about, you know, to, to really connect with someone, you have to connect with their heart first before their head. Mm-hmm. You know, as a professor, as a teacher, as a coach, a lot of times we have a lot of head knowledge. We know how to teach, but, you know, these kids don't care about that sometimes. Uh, you know, the cliche of they don't they don't care how much, you know, they just want to know that you care. And, you know, I think that's the style that I try to go with. I try to connect with each student athlete that I've, I've dealt with. I try to find out what makes them tick, what motivates them, because really that's what it's about. You know, I like Twizzlers, mm-hmm. but when I go out fishing, fish don't like Twizzlers. And I, and I don't know if that's completely an apples to apples comparison, but but right. sometimes we have to connect with people and figure out what what they like and what makes them tick and what motivates them. You know, as a basketball coach, I would wear suits. You know, if I went to J.C. Penney's, let's say, or Kohl's or any department store and just took it off the, the rack, mm-hmm. you know, it'd probably fit, but it's not going to be a perfect fit. If right. I go to a tailor, it, you know, he's going to take measurement after measurement after measurement. And it's going to fit me exactly the right way, the way it should be. And then the next time I go to that tailor and I want a suit, he's going to measure and measure and measure again because things may have changed. He wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing for me at that point in time. And, you know, I think about us sometimes, you know, the way we dealt with a person or the way we dealt with one of our students two weeks ago may have changed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you have to develop those relationships so you can find out. You know, when things are changing in their life, maybe something's going on in their family, all that kind of stuff changes. And so like a good tailor, you have to constantly measure and measure and measure and and reevaluate where people are at, because otherwise you're never going to get them to to go where they need to go. Well, that's a great analogy. I've never heard that before. Um, And you're right. A good tailor will do that. um, And a good coach will do that. So you also mentioned something about influence. How important is that in leadership? I might mention John Maxwell quite a bit because uh, as you are, I'm a John Maxwell certified trainer and and coach. And he talks about leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And that really is the case. We all can be leaders because we all can influence somebody. You know, I started a, a leadership training business a few years ago called You Leadership. Essentially, it's leadership begins with you. We all can influence somebody if it's 
not just ourselves. Uh, we can influence ourselves to do what's right, but we all have a, one or two or three close friends, close associates, and we can influence them. I've dealt with a lot of teams before where the players are like, well, no one listens to me. The team won't do what I tell them to do. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much say, well, they don't have to listen to you. The team doesn't have to do, but the one or two closest friends, they can listen to you. Right. And so we can influence one or two people, and then maybe they can influence one or two people and, and so forth and so on. And then all of a sudden you have a ripple effect because we all have close friends and we can influence them. We see that every day. You know, four of us coaches will go out to eat and we'll, one of, we'll have to decide where we're going to go eat. You know, yeah. you're all type A personalities or whatever. So you're, you're always influencing different people. You know, Jamie, we're so like-minded. My website, I don't know if you've seen it, masterleadership.org. It has that ripple. Take a peek. So tell me which quote or quotes about leadership speaks <laughs> to you and why? Well, once again, pretty much you can't go wrong with any John Maxwell quote. They're so insightful. One of his that I like the best is the one that talks about leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. And that's so true because so many times we get caught up in this, you know, I'm a brand new teacher. I just graduated from college. I I can't do anything with the teacher union or I can't run this organization at school. That that belongs to that 30-year veteran or or that kind of stuff. Or we get caught up on a team. Well, I'm I'm a freshman. I'm not the senior or I'm not a starter. I'm a role player. But it's not about the positions, titles or flowcharts. You know, it's about can you have influence where you're at right then? You know, we all are in a position, whether it's with our families, whether it's in the locker room, the boardroom, or the living room, you can have an influence. You can help other people be more successful. And so whether you're a secretary, uh, a receptionist, whether you're the president of an organization, you still have influence over people. And and so uh, I like that quote probably the best. And Jamie, I hear you have a son or a little one that's calling daddy. How many children (laughs) do you have? I have uh, just one. And uh, his name is Jalen, and we uh, we adopted him six years ago from Chattanooga. Oh, congratulations! Um, we adopted him from birth. You know that was a that was an interesting uh, situation because uh, I was pretty ignorant or not I guess naive about the whole birth process. And uh, we had a basketball game the day that he was born, and the birth mother was supposed to go into the hospital at eight o'clock, and our game was at six o'clock. So I figured it would be no problem me getting back to that game in time. <laughs> And all the mothers out there right now listening to this, they are just shaking their heads. But that's how naive I was. I was thinking, yeah, she'll go in at 8 o'clock. He'll be born around 9 o'clock or so, 9.30. I'll spend a few hours with him, eat lunch, and get up to the game in time. And that obviously was not the case at all. That's such an important relationship. And it is about influence and leading your children. I have a child myself. And one of the things that has helped me so much has been this leadership coaching. It's helped my parenting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I went through the Maxwell training, obviously as a college basketball coach, I thought I knew a lot about leadership. And I'd read a lot of John Maxwell's books. But going through that training and just being able to listen to him, listen to his teaching staff, Uh, Listening to the other people across the country that have been in leadership positions in various places, it really opened my eyes to how little I knew about leadership. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a continual thing, but I think I'm a better leader because of that. All right, Jamie. So tell us what type of leader you're inspired by and why. You know, I I really like the leaders that are observant and aware of their situation and around them and, and the people that they're working with. They don't just try to uh, do cookie cutter 
or just fit all the pieces in the puzzle and, and make everything fit. I like the ones that can adapt, that can read situations, you know, and that their primary purpose is to enlarge others, to make others better. You know, I read a book once by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life, and, and in it, his very first sentence says, uh, it's not about you. You know, that really stuck with me because too many times as leaders, when someone else is talking, what we're doing is we're trying to think of what we're going to say next. That's just our time to gather our thoughts while we're waiting our turn to say something. And it's really not about us. It's about listening to that other person and being aware of what's going on so that you can best help that person. And you can't best help someone and and add value to somebody if you're just thinking about your thoughts and thinking about what you're going to say next. Oftentimes when you say it's not about you, people think you have low self-esteem or or self-degradating. But really that humility is not about having a low ego or anything like that. It's just about, you know, I like the quote that says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less, lifting someone else up and trying to find out what they need and what they want in their life. And that's the kind of leader I like. Um, We have a lot of leaders out there that it's just my way or the highway or it's just, well, I have this stuff. I've been trained in this area and I'm going to apply this to every situation like an athletic trainer. If you have an athletic trainer that every single injury It's let's put ice on it and take a Motrin. Well, then almost anybody can do that. They're only going with what they were trained and only doing it one way. I like people that can adapt to situations and are observant. You know, this podcast is actually an exercise for me in listening. Because as you say, you know, we're always listening and trying to figure out what we're going to say next. And it's a challenge for me. So this is a really great exercise for (laughs) me. And obviously, I need a lot of practice. But it's great hearing about humility. And I'm with you because it is thinking of yourself less. And oftentimes that's a challenge because it's always about me. And and teaching our children, that is difficult too. Thank you for that. So tell us, I know you have a lot of experience with teams. Tell us what it means to have a good team and how do you build one? That is a, a million dollar question. And there are a lot of coaches out there that are making a million dollars because they have the answer or at least they found uh, part of the answer. And, and, you know, it's tough because you talk about what does it mean to have a good team or to build a good team? A lot of times people think uh, if you just put talented team members or if you have the most talent, you're going to be good. And for years, I struggled with our players that were really talented. They thought they had arrived at their destination. And that's not the case. Talented does not equal good. There's a lot of talented players and a lot of talented uh, teams out there that aren't good yet. And so when I'm looking at building a good team, I want to have talented individuals, but I want to have the right talented individuals, uh, the right team members. Uh, John Gordon, he's an author that wrote a book called The Energy Bus, and he talks about having the right people on the bus, making sure you're always traveling down that road, that journey with the right people. Uh, Because they're going to lift you up, but you're also going to be able to lift them up. And and together, you're going to have that synergy and you're going to have those complementary pieces uh, because everyone has to play their role. You know, I coached for a lot of years uh, college basketball, whether you're a basketball coach or whether you're building a team at the office or whether you're a principal who's building a team of teachers and, and support staff. You've got to have the right talented people. And I've seen even at the high school level trying to build a team that you bring in a teacher that maybe has won awards elsewhere. Right. They're very talented, but maybe they don't work together with others. Maybe they're not willing to do something extra. Uh, Our school ended at four o'clock. 
there were a couple teachers that were racing the kids out the door to get out of school, essentially. If you have very talented teachers in the classroom, but they're not willing to do anything extra or they're not willing to pull their weight sometimes, then maybe you're not going to have as good of a team. Uh, same way with a, an actual basketball team. If you don't have the right players that are willing to, you know, someone's got to pass the ball. Right. Somebody has to uh, set a screen, those kind of things. So people have to play the right role. Um, you have to have the right people, but you have to be going the right place. So a shared purpose, a shared vision. And all of that, I believe, starts with the leader. What culture is that leader setting? You know, once again, John Gordon talks about in his book, you know, that energy bus, that driver of that bus. Who are they allowing on the bus? Where are they taking them? He has another book called Soup, uh, talking about you put all the right ingredients in that soup. You know, once you get the right ingredients, you still have to stir it the right way. You know, right. who's stirring the soup? And so as a leader, you set that culture. And uh, how many times have we seen or have we had a job where what we go to day in and day out, that eight hours that we're there or however, doesn't match the promotional materials, doesn't match the billboard mm -hmm. that advertises our company, doesn't match what the boss says in those meetings that are, is our mission statement. Right. You know, a lot of times our uh, vision or our mission statement doesn't quite match what the culture is at our place of work. And so the leader has that opportunity to uh, shape the culture. One of the best examples to me that stands out about culture at the town I lived in, Marion, Indiana, the last uh, couple of years, there's a college called Indiana Wesleyan University. And their basketball team has been very good. Their men's basketball team has won a couple national titles uh, mm -hmm. at the small college level. And one of the things that they're known for is uh, a slogan called I am third. And it's not necessarily unique to them. You've probably heard it before where you put God first, mm -hmm. other second, yourself third. But what is unique is that they actually live it out. It's not just their coach preaching it. Those kids actually live it out and it's become internalized. So the story that I'm thinking of is when I first moved to Marion, Indiana, they were going to help me move in as a part of a community service activity that they do. So we arrive and they arrive, but their coaches aren't there yet. Now, Every school in the country does community service. They have some good kids. Most kids, if their coaches aren't there, are going to stand off to the side and wait for their coaches. Right. They jumped right in. They introduced themselves to my family and I, and they started unloading our big 26-foot moving truck. They unloaded everything without their coaches being there. They weren't complaining. They just all jumped right in and did it. And, and how was, was your reaction? Uh, I was amazed because kids don't do that. 18, 19, 20-year-olds don't do that. It just stuck out to me that here's a group of college students that have something else to do that don't want to be there moving. Hmm. Because remember, I wasn't moving in. They didn't know me. I wasn't right. moving into their college. Right. I was going to a high school in town. They didn't know me. They didn't have to do this for me because I wasn't going to give them a grade. I wasn't hmm. their new athletic director. I was a high school athletic director. And they still did this because that culture is ingrained in them and that's what they do. Oftentimes, a leader might say something. Uh, they might even say something over and over again, but it doesn't become internalized with their group because maybe the leader doesn't live it out or put a priority on that, or they don't get the right people on the bus. That's been a pretty big thing for me lately is, is thinking about that culture and how you build that culture. Because if you have that strong culture, then going back to your question, you're going to have a good team, I think. That's powerful. There are times, Jamie, where you inherit a team, especially in education. We don't get to really handpick <laughs> who we want on our team. In that situation where you have a group of people that really aren't a team yet, how important is social emotional development or bringing that to the table? That's a great question. And uh, I've been a head coach at four different colleges. And so I've taken over different teams. And some have been 
very good teams that I took over and some have been poor teams. They both create their own challenges. You know, let's say you're a principal taking over a new school that's an A school or a five-star school or something like that. Well, then they may not be very open to change because the way they've been doing it works Mm -hmm. and they just want you to come in and not rock the boat maybe. Mm -hmm. Or if you come into a school that needs a lot of change, well, then that obviously presents a lot of problems because they have some resource issues or they have some attitude issues. So it's always a challenge for a leader. And that's where you have to adapt to your situation. But when I would take over a team and I would have that first team meeting, I would say, none of you are my recruits but you can be my players. And there's a difference there. I may not have recruited you. I may not have hired you, but you can be my kind of player or my kind of team member. You know, a lot of kids will sometimes talk about, uh, well, coach plays favorites. And that's absolutely true. We do play favorites. We play the people that do what we ask them to do or that fit in to what that vision is or or where we're trying to take that bus. You know, and so a lot of times what you're going to try to do then is articulate that vision. What is your vision? What's the purpose Um, for your organization, your business, your school. And you're going to try to articulate that to those team members. But that's where it comes back to what I talked about earlier with the relationships. If you don't build a relationship with those people, then they're not going to follow you anywhere. You know, John Maxwell talks about a leader without followers is just someone taking a long walk. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you don't build a relationship or make a connection with people, they are not going to follow you. So, I'm a new principal or I'm a new CEO or a new manager and I have people to supervise. I want to find out who some of those key people are, key team members. And I'm going to try to get to know them better. I'm going to try to find out what's going on in their lives. I'm going to try to find out what they liked or didn't like at their job. Hey, tell me how could we help you do your job better? Why do you do what you do? Find out. Is it just for the paycheck? Is it because they want to help kids? Is it because they like this company and the and the values it stands for? Find out what's important to them. But it is tough sometimes, you know, because they aren't your recruits. They aren't your hires. They aren't the people that you invited onto the bus with you when right. you're going down that road. But that's where you have to make those connections with people. You know, it makes me think of the kinds of people that I would follow would be those that value me. I think of the leaders Ah. who I've absolutely followed, like John Maxwell, you know, and there's several others. I have mentors and coaches, and I see how they value what I bring to the table, and that makes me want to follow. You know, at the end of the day, Lily, every one of us has something we can contribute. Um, As a leader, as a coach, one of your jobs is to maximize strengths and minimize weaknesses. But too often, we magnify all those weaknesses, those flaws that people have. Well, she doesn't do this or he doesn't do that. Well, start looking at the more positive things. What can they do? What are their strengths? Because everyone has some strengths. Mm -hmm. Everyone has some passions. So figure out what that is and try to maximize those. And then you might be able to get a little bit more work and a little bit more productivity uh, out of those team members. Um, They might be more excited about some things. So tell us, Jamie, about a challenge that you've experienced (laughs) and how it has shaped your life. Right off the top of my head, I can't think of one that stands out. You know, as a college coach, I had a lot of issues. <laughs> you know, we face challenges all the time because we lose a lot of games. Even the good coaches lose. And trying to keep a team together is never easy. You know, so every loss that you encounter as a coach or even in business, if you lose an account, those kind of things, those are always challenges. Those are always struggles. 
And, you know, how are you going to react to those? And, you know, through life, I've had a lot of challenges and I've had a lot of failures. And so I've been able to learn from them. Like John Maxwell's book, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. Uh, <laughs> I, I've learned a lot, you know, mm -hmm. because even if you're a successful coach, you're still losing quite a lot of games or you're losing recruits or you're just dealing with teenagers. Mm -hmm. And right. that's, that's a challenge in and of itself. All right. Well, tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives hmm. of those around you? Uh, probably my most recent one that I can think of is, uh, you know, two years ago when I took this job at Marion High School in Indiana uh, as the athletic director, pretty much the athletic department was in shambles. It was pretty dysfunctional from an organization standpoint. Financially, we were broke. You know, after two years, we were able to, uh, to have more of a surplus than they had had in decades. We were able to balance the budget. We actually put together budgets. But just as important, we were able to develop some student-athlete leadership training that hadn't been done in the past. We were able to put some systems in place to help develop the coaching staff. And all that put together it was satisfying because we were able to help student-athletes. We were able to take an athletic department that really had no direction direction and really had no processes in place. And we were able to do that and, and help a lot of student athletes along the way to have better experiences. Now, you mentioned that you developed student athlete leadership. Yeah, there was pretty much nothing. And uh, what we did was we put together a weekly meeting and it was only for a half hour to 40 minutes at a time with anywhere from 20 to 30 students. It was from different sports, different age groups. So we had some freshmen in there. We had basketball players. We had wrestlers. We had swimmers. So we had everyone represented and we were essentially the focus of that was to try to develop their leadership skills. Because a lot of times in high school, unfortunately, you're considered a good leader if you get good grades and aren't arrested for something. Wow, that's sad. Um, essentially, I mean, I'm, I'm over exaggerating, but uh -huh. essentially you're a good leader if, if you stay out of trouble. Right. That's certainly oh. an accomplishment. Well, and, and especially the school that, that I was with, with 80% of the whole students across the district being free and reduced lunch, the majority of them coming from single family households. We were actually in the poorest county in Indiana. So we had a lot of challenges there. So leadership didn't look like what it's supposed to look like. A good leader is just someone that's not getting in trouble. And there's so much more to that. And so we tried to help develop that understanding. We developed a whole countywide leadership training day in Indiana Wesleyan University helped us out with that. All five schools came together for a big summit, a leadership conference that we helped develop. So we started getting the ball rolling for that. We took the first group of athletes to the Indiana High School Athletic Association Leadership Conference. There's 1,600 athletes that go to this conference in the summer, and our school had never done that. And so we participated in that the last two years. So just starting to get the student athletes acclimated to there's more out there from a leadership perspective than just getting good grades. Dealing with coaches, that's one of the biggest issues. Athletes maybe don't like their coach or they disagree with their coach. And so uh, one of the biggest things we had to get them to understand was that just because you're not negative or criticizing your coach publicly doesn't mean you're being a leader. You know, sometimes you need to help out when your friend is criticizing them. What are you doing with that? Are you just sitting by idly? And are you trying to back up what we're saying right now or what we're doing right now isn't the way, isn't the appropriate way to have a good team. And so we try to help them and show them practical ways. And oftentimes we get very intimidated as a player because we look at a team of 25 people and we think, well, what can we do? We can't change this team. But really what 
what you can do is you might be able to change yourself and your best friend. If two other people feel that way, then all of a sudden you've got six or seven people that have changed their thinking. And before long, you know, you have that ripple effect. And so a lot of times that's like a light bulb coming on with some of these student athletes because they've never thought about that. They think of all these kids that are hard to reach, the kids that don't want to be committed, the kids that aren't their friends, instead of thinking about their couple, their two or three best friends on their team that, yes, they can influence them. Jamie, um, you're talking about teenagers, but I can think of a whole bunch of situations where there are adults that think this way and have been in leadership for a long time. You also spoke about developing leadership. How important is it for leaders to develop leaders? I was spending a lot of time on student athletes, but or I had a secretary. Most people would not consider a secretary a leader in the traditional sense, but she's the one that answers phones and greets everyone when they come to the office. She's actually the first person you see the front porch to the athletic department. And if I'm encouraging her to smile when she answers the phone or be as helpful as possible, she might not be traditionally a leader. We're all leaders. And whether you're a receptionist, a secretary, whether you're a middle manager, whether you're just a rookie teacher, you can influence people. In my case, the last two years, the amount of student athletes or the amount of parents that would come into our office needing something or wanting to talk to the athletic director, but our secretary was able to help them out. And how helpful is she? How pleasant is she when she answers the phone? Those kind of things can make or break a day for somebody. She can either be the one that escalates a situation if someone's upset or she can be a calming effect. And a lot of times that's based upon what the culture is that I as the top positional leader has uh, set forth. I've noticed a lot of times, and this unfortunately happens even in my marriage, if I'm negative or if, I, if I'm having a bad day and I show it and I let that get to me, then the people around me may have a bad day as well. Um, if I'm complaining about something the superintendent or the principal did or my bosses are doing, then that rubs off as well. So leaders training leaders is important, but sometimes just modeling that. Well, first of all, going off the baseline that everyone's a leader, but we train people every day whether we're doing it intentionally or not. And so that's why it's so important for us to be intentional about when we come to work, intentional about when we, when we interact with people, that we understand what our purpose is and what we're really trying to get out of, out of people, which is to add value to everyone around us. I go around and I speak publicly. If the only time that I'm concerned about leadership is when I'm on stage and I'm trying to teach it, or like a preacher, a pastor, if the only time that they're going to live out their life is when they're on stage, then they're shortchanging people because you're dealing with people all the time. So you can't just flip that switch as a leader. You're a leader all the time. Now, Jamie, as a coach and as a leader, how important is it to have a coach? You know, some people think, well, you're an effective leader. You don't need a coach. That's a great question. One of my mentors, he's a close friend, uh, Inc.com lists him as one of the top 100 speakers in the country. He owns a nonprofit company in Atlanta. He works with a lot of Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. Just yesterday, he told me that uh, he started doing sessions with an executive coach. And I'm like... Wow. Wait a minute. You're an executive coach. You do this for other people. Why are you mm-hmm. doing that? I almost felt ashamed for asking that question because I know the answer because we're always trying to improve. We can always learn something from everybody that we interact with. And just like as a basketball coach, I might go to a clinic. If nothing else, you learn maybe a different way to do something mm-hmm. or a different way to think or it solidifies your thinking. There's a guy in Nashville by the name of Michael Burt. He calls himself the super coach. 
mm-hmm. super coach Michael Burt, and he does a great job of coaching people as well. He has this uh, saying, he says, you can't see the picture when you're inside the frame. Mm. You know, I always said, you know, you can't see the whole forest if you're inside the forest. Mm-hmm. You just see a couple trees. And so, yeah, we have to continually learn because people can help show us some things. They can help show us how we can even maximize our strengths better. If you're a leader already, even if you're an executive coach, there's always room for you to learn. So what would you tell a new leader who may be discouraged about their working climate or culture? <laughs> Leadership begins with you. We want to complain all the time. And I've been in that situation. The culture's not good or, you know, I hate my job or the boss is an idiot mm-hmm. or however you want to phrase it. But Gandhi once said, be the change you want to see in the world. One of my favorite quotes. <laughs> oh, it's great, isn't it? Yes. That applied to India back in the 1940s. Well, no, it applies to me today sitting in my living room with my kids and nieces and nephews. It applies to me in the boardroom. It applies to me in the locker room. Right. Um, we've all had bosses we don't like. We've all been in situations we don't like. Uh, we've all had cultures or climates that maybe aren't optimal. But what are we doing to make it better? Are you answering the phone better? Are you offering to help others with their projects or assignments? Are you bringing the secretary flowers? Mm-hmm. Are you sending a card to a coworker or a colleague when someone gets sick or dies in their family? Well, no, that's the leader's responsibility, we often say. You know, well, they'll, they'll do it. Or it's their well, fault, right? Or it's their fault. Hey, are you, are you giving donuts to the custodians? Mm. You know, or are you bringing in donuts someday? Right. Um, you know, what can you do? Those are, those are a few silly little things. but. Right. You know, just nothing else. What's your attitude? Are you changing your attitude? And a lot of times, and I've gotten caught up in this as well, because we all have bosses and we all think we're smarter than our boss. And we all think that whatever situation we're in could be better. Um, So let's change it, like Gandhi says. Jamie, I've been in situations like this. And one of the things that really helped me to see things differently has been a coach who challenged me (laughs) to be the change that I wanted to see. That's extremely important. Thank you for that. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? This whole journey that we're on really doesn't have a destination. We may reach goals at different times, but then we reevaluate our goals. We reset our goals. But as far as learning goes, there is always more we can learn. And we can always learn more from people we interact with. We never arrive at a destination of where now we know more than everybody else. I may know more than everybody that I work with as a basketball coach. It was scary sometimes when I would look at my bench and I would see four assistant coaches who I knew more than they did. I was like, okay, (laughs) I don't know what to do right now, but I'm the smartest person on my bench. Mm -hmm. But they could also help me out in some other ways. Let's say I had a, a pretty new coach, but she had a very good relationship with some of the players she could maybe see something on the basketball court that I didn't see. And so you can always learn, even if you're smarter than someone else, you can always learn something else because there's so many aspects to life. It's not just head knowledge and it's not just even behavioral. There's so many different aspects and dynamics. So we always have to constantly be learning more. Right now, I'm really dealing with trying to have more clarity about purpose, trying to figure out how to be most effective and add as much value to as many people as possible without sacrificing my family as well. Um, Sometimes we're out there, we're coaching up others, we're helping others be better, but even in our own family, we're not doing that. And so that's something I'm dealing with right now is, is trying to figure out how to influence others 
but also uh, be strong on the home front as well. I haven't figured that out yet. As, well, as, we're doing as this I together. Tell us what you've read that our listeners should read and why. Obviously, any John Maxwell book, I'm going to be partial to. But outside of those books, there's three books that really stand out to me that I guess if I was doing a leadership class and we had to have three textbooks, these would be the three that I would start with and then build off of that. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, Harvey McKay, he wrote a book called Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. He talks about building a network, not just a network of contacts, but building up a knowledge base, setting goals about what you want to do and having purpose before you have emergencies. You know, before you're thirsty, you got to dig your well so you actually have water when you're thirsty. And then the third book was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that's a really old book. Even though there's a lot of old illustrations in that book, it's so pertinent, I think, to today. It's essentially the precursor to John Maxwell's Everyone Communicates But Few Connect. Dale Carnegie talks about if you want to win friends and influence people, the best way to do it is to make them feel important, to add value to their life. I mean, it's pretty much that simple. It's not you talking it's you listening and you making other people feel important. Okay. So those would be the first three. Tell us what you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have. Each morning I have a, a schedule and I schedule about a 30-minute time block uh, before I start anything else to really get my mind right and for personal growth and development. Maybe that's listening to a podcast uh, like yours, um, <laughs> Master Leadership Podcast, or a John Maxwell training call, or something like that. It's not necessarily to make me a better leader, per se, where I get more information, but it's really just to get my mind right and to get my uh, focus for the day on adding value to people and what's the importance of what I'm doing today. Like, for instance, I've been involved in education for a long time. Well, that's where you're educating, you're educating our future. That's the responsibility not to be taken lightly. And so if you can get your mind right at the start of the day with that, that's what I try to do. Now, you know that many leaders put in long hours. What advice would you give about maintaining balance? I am not the best person with the work-life balance. I've been out of whack for about 25 years. It's enabled me to be a very successful coach. It's enabled me to be effective in my life and to achieve a lot of my goals um, I've worked a lot of hours, but I have struggled with this through the years. When I was at the college level, easily working 16 hours a day, but I also had flexibility where I could come home and eat dinner with my kid if I needed to or pick him up from school. At the high school level, I didn't have very much flexibility. All in all, I'm not very good at that work-life balance. I have tried to listen to my wife and do what I need to do from a family standpoint. I have actually just resigned. I'm going to be uh, probably looking at some nonprofits or some leadership development companies to join up with. One guy that I highly recommend in this area is a guy named Mike Nichols. His uh, nonprofit is Green Tree Project out of Atlanta. Uh, He does a lot of great stuff about purpose and clarity and that work-life balance. He's great at that. And so I need to pay attention to that a little bit more. One of the things that I've tried to do is I've tried to prioritize things a little bit more. I was one of these guys that used to have you know, 75 things on his to-do list. Uh, you know, it, I can relate. And, well, yeah. And you know, you go through it where it's like, all right, well, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to get some momentum and I'm going to do some of these little things so I can get some things crossed off. I read a book by Tim Ferriss, the uh, four hour work week. It's a pretty popular book in it. He talks about not really being time management, but priority management. 
you know, one of the things he said was, if you had a heart attack and you could only work two hours a day, what would be the stuff that you did in those two hours? Whatever you're doing, if this is the only thing I accomplished today, will I be satisfied? And that kind of stuck out to me. And what I started doing was my to-do list became one post-it note. My to-do list was normally like two pages on a legal pad. A lot of time wasters come up during the day. And sometimes we waste time doing other things because we're able to cross that off our list, but we're missing out on the significant things or the things that most matter. You know, that question that you asked, if you had a heart attack, what would you do? And you only have two hours. That certainly puts things into perspective. It gives you clarity on what's important. And I really want to... um, just thank you for your authenticity because even answering this question, I see that you're looking for clarity in your purpose. I see that you're, you're still learning and you want to learn and you realize you haven't arrived and you don't have all the answers and we, we don't. But I thank you for the authenticity and the transparency and just giving us some guidance. I've lived a charmed life. I've been able to travel, do a lot of great things. It's been great. But the one thing in the last three or four months I've really been hitting the head about a few times is, are you going to grow up and eventually your kid's going to be graduating from high school and you didn't realize where the time went? And I hear all these people talking about, you know, family, family, family. And, you know, as I'm winning championships or as I'm, you know, getting awards and that kind of stuff, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is cool. This is cool. But then when you really think about it, do I want to not see my son grow up or not enjoy the time with my wife. And and pretty soon, you know, you get to be 80 years old and where's life gone? Okay. So Jamie, we've come to our last question. If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Great question. If you had a time machine or if you sent an email back in time, I would probably say be as open-minded to learning as much as you could and developing relationships with people and maintaining those relationships with people. You know, it's all about relationships. It's all about making connections. Early on, I was much more type A personality, much more driven, just productivity, productivity, productivity. I want to win, 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 whatever that is. And it's only the last few years that I've come to realize that it's more about relationships and that maybe you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But even as you're leading a horse to water, if you have a carrot or an apple in your hand, it's a whole lot easier to get them to the water mm-hmm. as opposed to just pulling or pushing and pushing and pulling. I think really develop those relationships with people and make it not about yourself. Yeah. Wow, that's great advice, Jamie. I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Well, I appreciate it, Lily. Thanks for having me. It's, just, it's been a fun time with you today. Great. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye. Bye.